While you guys are getting settled, just real quick, um, I also want to throw a plug back in for winter camp. So winter camp. So today, no, I'm good. I'm full as a tick. Um, so I want to throw in a plug for winter camp. Uh, winter camp, as of today, we've got six weeks until the deadline. Um, I was talking with Eddie Ziss. We met earlier in the week, and man, I am excited about the stuff that we're going to talk about. Um, winter camp is very different compared to summer camp. Um, for those of you that have gone, you know about this. Those of you that haven't, it's something that is just really neat. There's something about just having a short period of time where we get together, hang out, and we hear those things. It's like almost like God does things similar but different because it's shorter. It's like a shorter amount of time. It's almost like a nice shot in the arm for the rest of the school year. Um, and I firmly believe with all my heart that we're at a very critical point in our youth ministry. Um, we saw from summer camp, we've got some momentum coming out of summer camp to start the school year. And then generally speaking, this is what happens. September, October, things start to really slow down. You get back into your routines. You get back into the daily just grind of life. And you start just things start tripping you up and you're not as faithful as what you were. That's typical. It's part of maturity. Struggling is fine as long as you do better than the year before. But what happens is, is that summer camp ends, then you have the fall, and then winter camp is a nice, nice shot in the arm. And there's a few things that you guys really need from this, this winter camp that I believe that, man, if you would go, you would be so stinking blessed. So if you've already got something going on or there's things that conflict like sports and whatnot, I totally get it. I was in the same boat when I played basketball and stuff. Um, I could not go to these, these camps when I was younger. Uh, but if you have the opportunity to go, uh, please do. You will not regret it. So I'm excited about it. All right. So with that said, we're going to start in our lesson today. And it's going to be a little bit shorter than what I expected. So we're going to breeze through a few things that I want to spend a little bit more time on because we only have about 30 minutes until we need to head out for the main service. But we are going to be finishing um, the doctrinal studies on, on God. So today is going to finish the section on God. Um, really, we could have spent more than three weeks on it, but instead we're only spending two. But we're going to finish up this section on God. And then next week we're going to talk about Jesus, the doctrine of Jesus, and uh, doctrines about him, and some misunderstandings and things that people get wrong about him. And then the third week after that, we've got, um, uh, the, we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit. And some of the things that, there's some massive, massive just misunderstandings and confusion on the Holy Spirit. So we're going to be talking about him. And then from there, we're going to be jumping into probably the spirit world. Because after talking about the Holy Spirit, then we're going to talk a little bit about what does the Bible say about the spirit world when it comes to angels, um, the different types of angels, uh, what, what, how do things actually work in the spirit world, and so it should be kind of fun. And then we'll jump off from there and do a whole sorts of different stuff. All right, so let's go ahead and pray one more time, and then we'll get into this this morning, and then we'll head into the main service. Lord God, we come before you, and we just ask for you to um, just help us this morning. Um, as we've talked about in weeks past, when it comes to having a, a good doctrinal theological understanding uh, in our life, it has to begin with you. Um, you are our creator. Uh, you're the person that the Bible says that every breath is in the palm of your hand. And at any time, you could remove that and we would be out of this world. And I pray, God, that we would understand these things today and it would cause us to appreciate you, to appreciate um, just your character, your nature, uh, who you are, um, and that we would stand in awe of you. And as a result of standing in awe of you, God, that we would be more faithful to you today and throughout this week, um, understanding who we are because of our creator. 
So help us today just to have a good understanding. I pray, God, that you would draw our attention to areas of our life where uh, there are things that you want us to tweak and to change and to remove and to just do things differently and that we would have the boldness and the courage to be obedient to the things that you're going to teach us today. So we love you very much. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So doctrinal studies, God part two. All right. So we're going to be talking about the Godhead. Now, uh, the theological term that we use for this is Trinity, the Trinity. Now, the word Trinity is not found in your Bible, but if you ever do any sort of doctrinal studies or you study theology and you get into any sort of a textbook or anything like that, Trinity is going to be what people typically use. The biblical word is Godhead. There's nothing wrong with using Trinity. I use it all the time. But if you're going to go with a biblical word, Godhead is the word found in your Bible. So we're going to be talking about the Godhead. Now, when it comes to the Godhead, God is one, but also three. This is a concept that a lot of people have a very hard time with. And if you ever get into a conversation with a Jewish person, especially, or if you get into a conversation with someone who is, um, you know, they follow Islam and the teachings of Islam, same thing. Um, Mormons, same thing. Jehovah's Witnesses, same thing. Because they don't see the Bible properly. They don't rightly divide the Bible. So we're going to take a look at a few passages this morning to show you some of the basics of the Godhead um, and how it works. But then we're going to end it off with an application of why is the Godhead important to understand. All right. So um, understanding the basics of the Godhead. All right. I need some readers. Everyone go to Deuteronomy 6.4, but I need a reader for Mark 12, 39. 29, sorry. Mark 12, 29 through 32, Noah. Jack, go ahead and take 1 Timothy 2.5. And then um, I just might as well divvy out the rest of them. All right, Genesis 1, 26 and 27. Got that one. Reese, go ahead and take um, Genesis 3, 22. Genesis 11, 7. Hannah, Timmy, go ahead and take Col- uh, Isaiah 6, 8. And then Sam, go ahead and take 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 6. Um, John 10, 30. Acts 5, 3 and 4. Haley. And then Colossians 2, 9. Got that one. Baronic. All right. Okay, so understanding the basics of the Godhead, all right? So first of all, it's these four things. God is one. That's your first blank there. These are actually all your blanks if you want to go ahead and just write them in so that way you can focus a little bit more. God is one. God is three. All three are equal and each have different roles. Now, can you see why people have a hard time with this? <laughs> God is one. Yes. God is three. Yes. What? Okay. And all are equal, but yet he's one, but he's three, and yet they have different roles. Yes. This is exactly what the Bible teaches. And so people are left with, what are you going to believe? Are you just going to believe what the Bible says? You may not understand it completely, Are you going to believe what the Bible says and then dive into it? Or are you just going to write it off and say, you know what? Forget it. I'm done. I can't believe that. That's a walking contradiction. God does stuff like this in the Bible to give unbelievers a reason not to believe God. But the Bible teaches all three and they are, they are not contradictory one to another. And we'll talk about that. All right. So let's hear a few passages on God is one. Deuteronomy 6, 4. We're there. Somebody read it for me. Andrew in the front row. Splash zone. (laughs) Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Simple, right? 
This is why the Jews believe that God is one and they are adamant that he cannot be more than one. They're absolutely adamant that he cannot be more than one because of that verse. And I actually appreciate that about him. They're willing to hold that line because that's what the Bible says. And that is true because the Bible says there is no other God other than him. And that's the point. That's what God's trying to say there. There is only one Lord. All right. Mark 12. Listen to this one. Mark 12, 29 through 32. Jesus answered him, the first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. And the second is like, namely this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said unto him, Well, Master, thou hast said the truth, for there is one God, and there is none other. Okay, so even Jesus himself said there is only one God. Now, that's kind of weird. When you start to really think about this, I'm very analytical. So when I start to think about stuff like this, I'm like, okay, God is one, but yet God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, they're all the same. Jesus, who is God, says that God is only one, and yet he's the second part of the Trinity. So my mind just starts to go, woo, it goes all over the place. But I just have to believe what the Bible says. So Jesus confirms that those things are true. Now listen to 1 Timothy 2.5. Okay, so even Paul said it, 1 Timothy. There's only one God and there's one mediator. Now go to 1 John 5. 1 John 5. Now this verse in your Bible is probably the most important verse in your Bible when it comes to this particular topic. 1 John chapter 5. Come on. I keep flipping back and forth over it. I know. I know. It's right by... Okay, okay there we go. Okay, okay, I'm good. I'm good. All right. 1 John... Chapter 5. Now, this verse is very controversial because it is found in your King James Bible. But if you have an NIV Bible, it is not there. It has been removed. In fact, in NIV Bibles, what happens is, is they go from 5 to 6 to 8. And this happens all the time. Happens all the time. Happens in, in the book of Acts, same thing with the NIV Bible. Now, other, other translations will take different parts of verse 6 and verse 8 and make their own verse 7. But they remove key elements of this. And they say it's because it's not in the oldest and best manuscripts. Now, when they say it's not in the oldest and best manuscripts, they mean that it's, found in, it's not found in two manuscripts. One was in a library that was never used by anybody. And the other one was found in a trash can. Because someone was throwing it away and they were going to use it for fire. So those two are the oldest and best in their opinion. Those copies, which no one ever used, and someone was going to throw one of them away, was the one that doesn't have this verse in it, so that's what we're going to use. When, in fact, all the other manuscripts actually have it in it. So, whatever. Okay? All right. Just a side note. All right. So here it says very clearly, For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, that's Jesus, John 1, 1, and John 1, verse 14, and the Holy Ghost. And these three are one. This is the most important verse in your Bible when it comes to the doctrine of the Godhead and of the Trinity. There are three, the Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. So they are three, but they are one. How does that work out? We'll talk about it. Listen to Genesis 1, 26 and 27. Listen very carefully. And God said, let us make man in our image. All right, stop. Did you catch that? And God said, read it again. Let us make man. Let, let, let who? Let us. Let us. Okay. And God said, let us make man in our 
image. Keep going. After our likeness. Our likeness. Keep going. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So, cre- so God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. Okay. God said, let us. Plural. God himself said, let us. Who's he talking to? Jesus and the Spirit, let us make man in our own image, okay? And then God created them, okay? And if you actually study Hebrews chapter 1, that was actually Jesus that created them, by the way. So you look at all this, the Trinity is one, but yet they are three. So when God refers to himself as us or plural, and yet the Bible says that he is one, there's no contradiction because the Bible treats it as if it's no contradiction. So if the Bible treats it as no contradiction, there is no contradiction. So people that make an issue out of this, they're idiots. They're not Bible believers. They're not willing to believe what the Bible says. Okay? Listen to the same type of language in chapter 3 and verse 22. And the Lord God said, Behold, the man is become as one of us. Has become as one of us. Right there. Same thing. Same thing. Right there in the condemnation of what they did in the garden. Listen to 11, verse 7. Let us, Jesus, Father, Holy Spirit, speaking to each other, let us go down. Now, this is found where? All those three passages that we just said, Genesis 1, Genesis 3, Genesis 11. Where are they found in your Bible? It's called the Old Testament, also called the Jewish Bible and the Torah, all right? So the Jews have in their Bible God speaking and him referring to himself in the plural form. So the fact that they are so hardcore about being God is one, God is one, there cannot be this thing called the Trinity. They don't even believe their own Bible because their own Bible says us, us, us. Listen to Isaiah 6, 8, same thing. Also, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, who shall I send and who will go for us? Then said I, here I am, send me. Same thing right there. Who will go for us? So it's very important, very important. It's a little word, but us is very important. When it comes to this topic. All right, so God is one, God is three. All are equal. Listen to 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 6. Now therefore are there diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit, and there are differences of administrations, but the same Lord, and there are diversities of operations, but it's the same God which worketh all in all. Okay, listen to this verse again, all right? And I'm going to write down, because it all sounds the same, pretty much when you, when you break it all down. I'm going to write down each time each member of the Trinity is mentioned. Now listen as he, as he goes through it. Do it again. Now there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are differences of administrations, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of operations, but it's the same God, which worketh all in all. That verse tells you that they are equal. All three. All three. All three members of the Trinity are involved in you being part of the body of Christ. That's the context. And you, you getting some sort of a spiritual gift to edify the body. Same Spirit, same Lord, same God. Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ, God the Father. There are verses like this in the Bible all over the place. People just are not willing to see them. All right, listen to you. John 10, 30. Jesus speaking. I and my Father are one. There you go. Jesus directly says that he and the Father are one. Can't get past that one. Listen to Acts 5, 3 through 4. It was sold, was it not in thine own 
power. For I has thou consumed this thing, and in thine heart thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. Okay, so in the first verse, who did he lie to? The Spirit says that you lied to the Spirit. But in the second verse, who did he say that he lied to? God. So that equates the Spirit with God. So just those two verses alone tell you that the Spirit is equal with God, the Father, and Jesus is equal with God, the Father. Okay? So the Bible clearly teaches that. Got it? All right. Excellent. Okay. And then, let's see here. Then you have... The next part here, each have different roles. Now, this is very important. And let me let me give you an example of this. And this is like, if you guys flip over your page really quick to the backside, let me show you. There's a couple models that I had on there of trying to understand the Trinity. So you have the Trinity here. And on the back, you've got your, you know, kind of like a Venn diagram type deal where you got the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, but they all are God. And then you also have the authority structure, which we're going to talk about here in a minute, of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Now, when it comes to the Venn diagram portion, that's probably the best illustration I could possibly come up with for your mind to wrap around that God is one, but yet he's three. But God has also done this in creation, okay? So here, I've got an illustration here. In this cup, I've got this, which is? Crystal metal. Crystal meth. <laughs> no, it's not crystal meth. It's, it's, it's going out on the podcast, Andy. That was from our officer. Oh, sorry. My apologies. Okay. Jackson Township Police Department. I'm getting water on the floor. All right. So this is ice. Ice. Yes, it is ice. Oh my gosh. Not crack cocaine, not crystal meth. Okay. So we got ice in here. All right. So ice. And then I'm going to take this ice and I'm going to put it in my electric tea kettle. And I'm going to turn this bad boy on. All right? Okay. Ice is made up of what? Water. Water. Hydrogen. Oxygen. H to the Izzo. Okay? All right. Now, when it comes to hydrogen, oxygen is made up of these particular molecules. Now, what are the different three states of matter? Solid. Solid, like our youth ministry. Liquid. And gas. What you have after you eat uh, Mexican. Okay, so you got solid liquid gas. I'm sorry, I couldn't help myself. Okay, so when it comes to H2O, it can be in the state of solid as? As ice. It can be in the state of liquid as? Water. Water. And it can be in the state of gas as? Vapor. Vapor or steam, depending on what vocabulary you have. Okay. And so these three things, does it change what it is based on its state? No. No. It's still H2O. God has stuff like this in nature all the time. All the time. The Trinity exists in nature all over the place. <coughs> Just think about time for a second. What is time made up of? Seconds, minutes, hours. Yep, seconds, minutes, and hours. Weeks, months, years. Yep. I mean, you keep going. You keep going. There are threes in nature like crazy. Like, it's all over the place. All over the place. So, it's going to get there eventually. I was going to show you guys steam, because it's exciting. <laughs> but, I'll just keep going, and then I'll pour it, and then as I'm teaching other things, then you can just reinforce the idea. Okay? All right. All right. So... This is something that is very, very simple to understand, but a lot of people, they don't get it. But God has given you examples in nature with things like water, one of the most powerful forces on the entire planet, 
he's giving you examples like this to show you examples of the Trinity, that God is three, but yet he's one. He's the same substance, but he can exist in three different states. And there's three different responsibilities, three different roles of the Godhead. And so we're going to talk about that. All right. So the first part we're going to talk about this is the Father. Now, I've got the verses up here because I wanted to quickly go through this. I wanted you to see these verses, but I wanted you to be able to uh, still get the full effect of it. So I put the verses up here so we can quickly go through it. So first of all, the Father is a spirit. So if you talk about him and his embodiment of how you'd even be able to visualize him, he is a spirit. But that isn't even a walking contradiction because you can't see anything that is spiritual because it's invisible. And so that's why the Bible is in John 4, 24. God is a spirit. So there it says that God is a spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. 1 Timothy six sixteen, Who only hath immortality, talking about God the Father, dwelling in the light which no man can approach unto, whom no man hath seen nor can see, to whom be honor and power everlasting. Amen. So just based on this verse alone, God is a spirit, but you can't see him. No one has seen him, and no one will be able to, because he's a spirit. Weird? I mean, that's what the Bible says. So you can't see God the Father. So sometimes when you're praying, because I do this, when I pray, and I pray to God the Father, I kind of visualize this dude sitting on the throne in this body of light. You know what I mean? Like you start to think about stuff like that. That is not true. It's not true. God the Father is a spirit, and you can't see him. Okay? So the Bible says. All right. The Father, as far as his role, he is the final authority. He's the final authority. Let's get our steam, shall we? Very little. Oh, it's there. (laughs) All right, there's your steam. You just can't see it. It's a spirit. Exactly. All right. It's there quickly, and it vanishes away. That's another good illustration. All right. So Jesus says in John 14, 28, my father is greater than I. So very clearly, Jesus submits to the father as the final authority. Yet he is God, yet he submits to God the father. 1 Corinthians 15, 28, and when all things shall be subdued unto him, then shall the son also himself be subject unto him that put all things under him, that God may be all in all. So there comes a day where all things are going to be put under the feet of Jesus Christ as far as authority is concerned, like the world, the universe, and everything. And then Jesus is going to yield all those things to God the Father. So there is a submission there between Jesus and God the Father. 1 Corinthians 11.3, But I would have you to know that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God. So here there's this authority structure that God has established that Christ has a head. That's God the Father. God's the one that's in charge. He's the one that's in charge. And every man is subject unto Christ himself. And so there's an authority structure. We're going to talk about that authority structure a little bit later, or at least mention it. So that's God the Father. He is a spirit, which you cannot see, and he is the final authority. He's the top dog. He's at the very top of the food chain. Then you got the Son. The Son shows up in the Bible as the angel of the Lord and as Jesus himself. Genesis 3.8. The voice of the Lord God walking. How can a voice of God walk? Yeah, you can't. You can't, except for it's Jesus. Because Adam and Eve could not see God the Father, right? Because no man has seen him. He's a spirit. So who did they see? They saw Jesus. That was the voice of the Lord walking. Joshua 5, 14 and 15. Jesus is there as the captain 
of the hosts of the Lord. Joshua bows and worships Jesus, and he receives that worship. That was Jesus there in Joshua chapter 5. And then you got Matthew 121, And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. So Jesus was born in the flesh, for he shall save his people from their sins. So Jesus shows up in the Bible as the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament, and as Jesus in the New Testament. And the son submits to the father. We already talked a little bit about it, so these, these verses will just reinforce that idea. John 6, 38. For I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. And then John 12, 49 and 50. For I have not spoken of myself, but the Father which sent me, he gave me a commandment, what I should say and what I should speak. And I know that his commandment is life everlasting. And then here it is. Whatsoever I speak, therefore, even as the Father said unto me, so I speak. Jesus never once spoke anything of his own self. Like Jesus has the ability to have his own thoughts and his own ideas and his own feelings and his own emotions, all that stuff. But not one time did Jesus speak of himself. A thought may have come into his head that was his independently, but he did not speak it unless it was God's thought. He spoke whatever Jesus, Jesus and God, same terms, God told him, that's what he said. That's a great example for us. A great example for us. There are times where people don't need to hear you and your opinions and your ideas. They need to hear what God says. They do. There's no better way to explain God than God himself. And sometimes we feel like the need that we have to almost like explain why God is. It goes back to like last week, the existence of God. Why do you have to explain why God exists? The Bible doesn't. The Bible says in the beginning, God. And that's it. And that's where it leaves it. And sometimes that's all people need because they know deep down that God is there. They may not act like it up here or here, but they know. And you just saying God does exist. God will use that and convict their heart and could draw them to repentance. You have no idea. But sometimes we feel like we need to defend God. No, you don't need to defend God. You just need to declare who he is, what the Bible says. So just think about that. Think about that. So the son submits to the father. And then the third part, the spirit. So the spirit, felt weird typing this out. The spirit, spirit. All right. So the spirit is spirit. Genesis 1, 2. And the earth was without form and void and darkness upon the face of the deep. And the spirit of God moves upon the face of the waters. Now, I wanted to show you this verse, too, because I thought this was quite interesting. Romans 8, 9. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If so be that the spirit of God, same thing right here. Spirit of God here. Spirit of God here. So it's the spirit. Spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the spirit of what? Christ. Christ. It's different. But it's the same. He is none of his. So this tells you something very interesting. The spirit of God and the spirit of Christ is the Holy Spirit. And he's referred to as either. Either one. But that also means spirit of God. The Holy Spirit submits to you. God. Come on. It's not hard. And the Spirit also submits to you. Christ. Same thing. So that leads us to our next point. So the Spirit submits to the Father and to the Son. These next two verses, probably the most powerful verses in your Bible about the Holy Spirit. It tells you the most about Him. John 15, 26. But when the Comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, from the Father, the Spirit came from the Father, even the Spirit of truth, that's another name for Him, Spirit of truth, 
which proceeded from the Father, he shall testify of me. God sends the Spirit, and the Spirit testifies of who? Jesus. Jesus. That's all he does. Now look at this next one. Now this, I mean, this destroys charismatic doctrine right here. He shall glorify me. He, the Spirit, shall glorify me. Who's the me here? Jesus is speaking. So the Holy Spirit shall glorify Jesus. For he shall receive of mine and shall show it unto you. All things that the Father hath are mine. Therefore said I that he shall take of mine and show it unto you. So here he glorifies Jesus. In a lot of charismatic circles, you know who the Spirit glorifies? Himself. Or the person that is speaking gibberish behind a pulpit. Or coming up out of the baptismal. It's not glorifying Jesus. There's another passage that we didn't, I didn't have time to get to, but it talks about how the Spirit of God speaks only of Jesus. It speaks all about Him. The Spirit never speaks of Himself, ever, ever. He never speaks of Jesus never spoke of Himself. The Spirit never spoke of Himself. The Spirit speaks of Jesus Christ and glorifies Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ glorifies God and speaks of God. Whatever God says, Jesus speaks. Whatever God says or Jesus says, the Spirit speaks. Same with us. It's the same with us. And so if we are led by God, walking with God, led by the Spirit, guess what we're going to be speaking? What God has said. And it will line up with this. And it will be this. So it completely destroys charismatic doctrine. Those are some incredibly powerful verses. I really hope that you can chew on those. That was major, major. All right, so let's hit this and we'll hit this pretty quick. So why is it important to understand the Godhead? Why is this something that's so important to understand? Well, there are several things. These are just the things that I picked out um, that I thought was the most important. All right, first of all, the more we understand God, the better we can understand our own life. Why is that? The more you understand God, the more you can understand you and your life. Why is that? Yeah, Carson. Because we're made in his image. Yes, absolutely. You were made in the image of God. So if you don't understand how the Trinity works, you'll never understand how you're supposed to work. Why else? It's kind of hidden in what Carson said there. Yeah. You don't understand the purpose that God has actually given for you to flourish on this earth. Mm-hmm. Everything God creates has a purpose. Like he didn't just go, oh, whoops, I created will. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? He didn't do that. He didn't do that. Like, you being here is not an accident. It was by design. He wanted you to be here. And he wanted you to be who you are. Who you are, your personality, your traits, your skills, everything about you, God wanted you to be you. That's very important for you to understand because a lot of you guys struggle with yourself. And so do I at times. There are things about me I don't like. But when I understand the Godhead and I understand God made me, yeah, there's parts of me that I'm, I know I'm at fault. I'm a sinner. I've made mistakes. I got that. But God made me. God made you. He didn't mess anything up. Like, why do we devalue the creation of God? Out of all the people that could have existed between your mother and father, you showed up. And that was not by accident. That was by design. And there's something specific that he wants you to accomplish that no one else can and yet we struggle with thinking that God actually cares about us. Are you kidding me? 
Like, that's like, that should be the furthest thing from your mind. You don't understand how unbelievably valuable you are. I wish you did. I wish you could see it. I mean, it's right there in the hand of God. He wants you to understand it. So important. John 15, 5. I love that verse. One of my favorite verses. Jesus said, for without me, you can do nothing. Without him, we can do nothing. And so I need to understand him. I need to be with him. I need to spend time with him. So that way I can figure out what I'm supposed to do and how I'm supposed to do it. All right, number two. The Godhead provides a biblical pattern of authority. Oh, my word. If there's anything that's going out the window faster than anything else, than anything that can be flushed down a toilet, it's authority. Biblical authority. Biblical authority is gone. I mean, everything is being turned completely upside down. Completely upside down. And the only thing that can result of that is chaos. God has given himself as a biblical pattern of authority. You have God the Father. You stop dog. God the Son. Next in charge. Three. This can be clearly seen within a household. Because that verse that we read in 1 Corinthians, the man is likened unto Jesus Christ. This is straight out of Ephesians 5 and 6. The man is likened unto Jesus Christ. And he submits... See that? And he submits to God the Father. Every husband should be submitting to the authority of God the Father. And then the woman, the wife, is kind of like the Spirit of God, in a way. Because then they have children, and these two are in charge of the children. The wife submits the authority of Jesus Christ and glorifies him, but yet the wife also submits the authority of God the Father at the same time. So right here within the Trinity, you have a pattern of biblical authority that when it's done right, God can be glorified by the fruit that will exist out of the relationship between Jesus, who's the author of the gospel, the spirit of God that is convicting and drawing men unto Jesus to understand the gospel so they can be born again. You see it? Without biblical authority established by God, we have a culture that has completely flipped everything upside down where the wife... He's now in charge, and God submits to the Spirit of God, charismatic circles, and a lot of households that are turned completely upside down as a result. I'm telling you, this is, this is this what's happened. I don't make this stuff up. This is what the Bible says. It's quite interesting. Quite interesting. Number three, each role of the Godhead provides a deeper appreciation for God. Each role. Man, I wish you could understand this. Okay, 2 Peter 3.9. What does it say? I quote it all the time. That God... <coughs> yes. He is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Do you understand that the Godhead exists in the redemption of mankind? Every member of the Godhead was involved in the redemption of mankind. Every single one. If we were to look up these verses, Isaiah 53 talks about how Jesus Christ was going to be sent from God to die for the sins of the whole world. Ephesians 1 talks about how when you trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, the Holy Spirit of God moves in and he permanently indwells you. Just those three verses alone between 2 Peter 3, 9, Isaiah 53, that whole chapter, and Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, you can clearly see that every member of the Godhead is deeply involved in your redemption. And so when you understand the Godhead, you can appreciate God more. And then number four, the equality of the Godhead puts God in his proper place in our lives. Let's take a look at these two verses. Revelation 2, 4 and Revelation 3, 20. So go over to Revelation 2, 4. Revelation 2, 4. 
And then we'll end here. Revelation 2. All right, so Jesus is speaking to the church of Ephesus. And they did an incredible job, did some amazing things, and he boasts on them in verse 2 and verse 3. But then you get to verse 4, and it says, Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. And he tells them, Remember therefore from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and I will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. Now, just from the verses that we mentioned this morning, is there any that came to mind when you heard that verse, verse 4? Thou hast left thy first love. Any one of them? One of them popped into my head. Anybody? It was the Matthew 12, it's the one that Noah read, 29 through 32. To love who? The Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy might. First, it's the first commandment. Everything you've got is supposed to be him. Jesus came in, and you know what he told him? You've left your first love. You've left him. You need to go back and do the first works. He's saying the exact same thing here that he said in Matthew chapter 12. The exact same thing. And then look at chapter 3 in verse 20. Of course, our church period. So our church period is described by this. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. So this goes right back to the whole biblical authority pattern that I just described. Church, in a lot of places, is Jesus standing on the outside of the door. He wasn't invited. He's knocking and he wants to come in, but they won't let him. And they're having an entire Jesus party on the inside without him. They're doing whatever they think that they should be doing, but they haven't invited the person that they're supposed to be worshiping. So when you put Jesus in his proper place in your life, everything will be much, much better. I mean, can you imagine getting to heaven one day and Jesus was like, yeah, I was there the whole time. I was knocking, but you refused to open the door. And you thought you were following me. You thought you were doing the things that I wanted you to be doing, but you weren't doing any of them because you didn't come to me. You didn't talk to me. You didn't spend time with me. You didn't submit to my authority. You left me on the outside. Can you imagine like having over, I mean, Think of someone who's very distinguished or someone that you, that you look up to. You invite them over. They're coming over to your house and they're standing at the door and you have everything ready. You're like, oh my gosh, I can't wait, I can't wait. All right, let's just go ahead and get the party started. It'll be great. Let's get the party started. So when the person shows up, everything will just be going. It'll be a great time. And they get caught up in just having the party. And meanwhile, the person on the outside of the door is like, um, I'm sure this is the right address. I know I'm on time, you know? And yet standing on the outside, standing on the outside when he's supposed to be in. So when you don't have Jesus in his proper place, your life's going to be a mess. And many of us, our life is a mess because Jesus is not in his right place. And we're not listening to Jesus back in Revelation 2, verse 4, where he says, yeah, you've done some good stuff, but you've left your first love. You've forgotten what's really important. Jesus was successful because... He did everything that God the Father wanted him to do. Jesus never left his first love. And because he never left his first love, he was able to live a life and to die on a cross for us. And God was able to send the Spirit of God to permanently indwell us for all eternity. And that's a huge, huge blessing. So you can't ignore that stuff. 
So the Trinity is major. The Godhead is major. And if you don't understand it the right way, man, everything's going to be completely messed up. Completely messed up. All right. Any questions? Okay. All right. Good. So I hope this helps you guys. It's what the Bible says. It changes a lot for me. It helps me to think of God properly in my life. And I hope it did the same for you. Let's go ahead and pray. And then after I pray, make sure that you need to sign up for the Christmas party, take a flyer, sign up for winter camp, take a flyer, and do any of that kind of stuff. Do that on your way out. All right, let's pray. God, thank you so much for this morning and the things that you give us out of your word. I pray, God, that we would heed them and that we would really hide them deep within our heart and help us to um, just really do everything that you want us to do, that we would honor you and that we would glorify you with our life, with our time, with our talents, with everything that we are. If not, God, we're going to waste the time that you gave us. And it's a gift that you've given us, the time that we have. And so I pray that we would be wise. Thank you. Help us to have ears that are ready to hear what you want us to hear in the main service. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.